R E A R E A R E A R E A Audio Re-A audio. Re-A audio. Re-A audio. Re-A audio. Re-A audio. Re-A audio. Re-A The stories we share here on REA Audio are intended to show how people can overcome adversity with the hopes of inspiring our listeners not only to overcome their own adversity, but to try to put themselves in other people's shoes, see the world around them as filled with other human beings, people with struggles, backstories, and accomplishments. In our world today, dominated by social media, it's super easy to judge others from a distance and to compare your insides to what they're portraying on the outside. The thing is that we rarely, if ever, emphasize that none of these stories we share of recovery and accomplishment are over. In fact, as long as these human beings walk the earth, they're struggling and overcoming. It's a journey. Getting back to true human interaction, empathy and kindness is one of the fundamental ways you can be successful in business and in life. It's rare that you get an opportunity to really sit down and get to know somebody. And so many times when you do, your outlook can be completely changed. I was fortunate enough to have that opportunity with Mike May this week. So let me set this up. Mike is a new account manager here at Reemployability. In his interview, he presented himself extremely professionally, well-spoken, clean-cut. He mentioned he served with the 10th Mountain Division in Afghanistan during the interview, along with other background information and relevant business experience. A few weeks after he started here, we were discussing this podcast, and I asked him if he had any buddies from his time in the Army that might be willing to tell their story of success in overcoming a situation or situations they'd faced. Mike said there may be a few, and he talked to him about it. He had two close friends that were injured when their vehicle hit an improvised explosive device, or IED. One friend was the driver of the vehicle, Mark Wallace, and the other was injured to the point of having to be evacuated out, spending some time in an Army hospital. That was Sergeant Thomas McGreedy. As we continued the conversation, I learned that Mike was in that MRAP as well. See, it turns out that on the patrol the previous night, their MRAP rolled over and wasn't going to be available for the next night's mission. So Mike and his team assumed they would be taking a Humvee with significantly less armor than the MRAP. Well, it turned out at the last minute, Uncle Sam was able to provide another MRAP to Mike's team, and they were ordered to move all the equipment from the Humvee they thought they were going to be using over back to an MRAP. It was going to be a lot of work. Mike and his buddies were very resistant. If it weren't for the orders of a superior, Mike's story would be much, much different. And it leads to the story you are about to hear. Unplanned, unrehearsed, and very real. Thanks, Mike, for sharing your candid story with me and allowing me to get to know you better, as well as giving me permission to use the rest of your story as this week's podcast. I graduated high school June 1st and then was basic training June 14th. So, Damn. yeah, I actually signed up in October of 2006 because I was in the delayed entry program. So okay. when I was 17, like they let you enlist mm-hmm. with your parents signing off on it. Yeah, so yeah. that's what I did. And then it was kind of like just what I always wanted to do. Like I played sports, I like take direction well, I can, you know, have tough skin. So yeah, like yeah. it worked out for me and then uh, I didn't really know like what the infantry was per se, but once I got to Fort Benning, which is where I did basic training, they were like, you know, there's 
The MOS, which is the Military Occupational Specialty for Infantry, the designator is uh, 11B, 11 Bravo. So they instill in you from day one of basic training that there's only two jobs in the Army. There's 11B and 11 wannabe. (laughs) So from day one, they're jamming like, without you, there are no other jobs. Like everyone else's support like without the infantry, you know, so like they're, you know, stroking your ego and Mm -hmm. and gassing you up and like really, you know, you drink the Kool-Aid, you know, and then it was the same way when I got to the unit because half of the guys in the unit are uh, 19 Deltas, which are Cav Scouts. Okay. So cavalry, Cavalry, right? And then the other half are infantry. So there's this just huge rivalry there constantly. So, so our McGrady is a Cav Scout. Wallace is an infantryman, I'm an infantryman, so yeah. we all had to kind of work together. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of like the tone that was that was set for, I mean, honestly, since day one of being in the Army. And then going to 10th Mountain Division, it was an elite unit. Like, we were the most, we have been the most deployed division in the entire United States Army in the global war on terrorism. So, uh, I mean, like, every year a brigade is getting deployed. So it was very high mission tempo. We were training constantly in the field. And so it was like a really, like, I would describe it as almost like a professional athlete. Like, you're just eating, training, physical training. Like, it's just, you know, there's all the focuses on that. So we were really, like, I mean, we didn't think about emotion or feeling or, you know, we didn't, we were young, you know, so I think that was, this also happened at the beginning of the deployment. Like we had gotten into country in January and this happened in March, right? So we were still like, you know, kind of fresh out of the, out of the gate. So a lot of us didn't really even have time to you know, kind of decompress. Like it was just like, there's an, I mean, I went the next day I went on a mission to go get a new vehicle that got right. blown up. So it was yeah, not like, oh, take some time and, you know, think about it. It was just, horse, right, right. right. Yeah. So like it was years before I even was like, damn, that was pretty crazy, right? Yeah. You know, so I think that was a little bit of like the, like the, the unseen impact of it was just kind of like how, it's a, it's a serious thing, but at the time, like, you don't really understand the gravity of the situation that we were in, so, um, but really, like, I mean, if we had it our way, like, that would have been it, you know, so, there's that, um, <clears throat> but we all kind of really, um, came closer together because of those things, and then, um, like I said, Mark was in my wedding, McGrady was in my wedding, right. you know, like, yeah. so, people that I built like lifelong bonds with and have been able to overcome those obstacles. Um, McGrady lives out in California. He's worked for Tesla and he's worked for um, some airlines. So, you know, just kind of like. Has his back recovered pretty well? Yeah, yeah. He was able to return to duty after a few months and I have a picture of him like laid up on a cot, like holding like a bag of like Percocet or something. Like just kind of like, you know, this is. Yeah. Like the silver lining, right? Okay. Like, yeah. I could be high on these prescription yeah. pills at yeah. least while I'm laid up. How long was he isolated? Uh, I would say that was something that kind of... Yeah, I would say it was at least three months because I then took over his role as like the, the gunner in the turret. Because that's where he was. He was in the turret. So that's why like he took the majority of the, of the IED blast. And like the Air Force uh, EOD, the... 
explosive ordnance disposal bomb team came and like analyzed the site and was like yeah if y'all were in that humvee all y'all would have been dead mm-hmm. it would have been all there was five of us in the vehicle wallace arm grady sergeant higley me and our medic and really like we hit the ied and it totally takes out the batteries of the of the vehicle like it totally destroys the vehicle so like we're trying to like radio to the rest of the platoon like what happened but you can't get any radio signal out um so they're all just like driving away (laughs) right they did not realize it no that's like a movie like (laughs) yeah Yeah, so we're dead on the side of the road the convoy is continuing on and then the second vehicle in the convoy runs over an ied and gets blown up and that's what stops the convoy and then the third vehicle looks back which was a humvee so the third vehicle, we have three mraps and one humvee so the folks in that humvee drove right over it too so they're like really like the implications for all of us in that platoon were just like none of us should really be here anymore um so that in in and of itself was kind of like crazy to think about as far as just like how isolated we felt and like our training kicked in and we never really were like oh my like panicking right it was just the training kicked in and then for the next few months like i like did that role i was up in the turret i was the gunner i got you know the the equipment that he would have gotten and then when he got back he was more like on like a like kind of like a light like a light duty yeah yeah and really to, to be back with the unit but to not you know really be going out on patrol mm-hmm. so i think that was a little bit also kind of a hit to him and then this turned out to be all of our last deployment so uh mark had been deployed to afghanistan already before mcgrady had been deployed to iraq already before so for them this was kind of just like you know this was it like when we got back we all transitioned out of the military so i think a lot of us kind of just and like i said this happening at the beginning of the deployment and then it it really didn't get much easier after that there were a lot more close calls Mm -hmm. and i think like all of those compounded were kind of like like i i think one of those things on on their own is enough to really mess with somebody but i think like the cumulative nature of it kind of made us feel like oddly like a little bit more proud like we were able to kind of say like this was a tough deployment like this wasn't like an easy one and like i was saying that whole like bravado that they that they instill in you is kind of like like you almost have like a gold badge like you feel better because like you you experience terrible things like it's very weird thing to wrap your head around it's almost like being on a football team and actually being the one that's out there getting their ass kicked all the time and not the guy it's sitting on the side bringing the water bottles over right yeah Yeah. like when you're you know wrapped in ice after the game it sucks but you wouldn't trade that for anything right so that's how a lot of us felt but a lot of us didn't really know how to deal with those things so when we got back like we all just like didn't uh, it wasn't healthy treatment right a lot of self-medicating and a lot of you know just taking out stress in a not a constructive way well, I can't. I can't imagine what it's like, and and just and, and this. So I I did not serve in the military. I wanted to. My dad was uh, the '60s generation, mm. and he had a low draft number, so right, he would okay. have been drafted into to go to Vietnam. Mm. He um, instead chose to be in the. Uh, he, en- he enlisted and went into the reserves. So he okay. was in the reserves all through the 60s and 70s, mm. 80s. And um, when first Iraq 
before, or the first Gulf, Gulf War, War came right. up. He was deployed. Okay. Um, he was a nurse at an evac hospital, mm. so he wasn't like a, a infantry or anything. But um, he was, you know, having been in the military for that long, he was just jaded. Yeah. He hated it. And when I wanted told him, better for you. Yeah, I wanted to do this. <laughs> yeah. They were like, no. Right. And and so I've always admired you guys. Um, a lot because I feel like I'm the guy that sat on the sidelines. Right. And and it's it's like you said, it's kinda weird because I've <laughs> yeah. heard I've heard nothing but very difficult stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet I I feel like I missed out on something. And maybe it's just the guy thing. It, I think it is definitely an ego thing, yeah. a lot of like a macho thing, but like I mean it's hard for me to like like wish that upon anyone, you right. know? So no, like I it's 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 like we and again, we volunteered. Right. Like at the end of the day, we may not have known what we were signing up for, but mm-hmm. we did sign up. We weren't thankfully drafted or had to go through any of that. And my dad just told me he's had a, you said low. So I guess he had a high draft number, but he right. was like, they lived in Buffalo. He was ready to go to Canada. He was yeah. like, I'm not, you know, yeah, just, but thankfully I didn't really have any of those like horror stories from my family to kind of dissuade me from, from enlisting. Yeah. And I don't know if I would have listened either you know i was 17 i'm gonna do what i want to do i want to get out of the house i want to get out of this town i'm gonna do it that's my thing too i wish i had (laughs) i'm like you know i was always the good kid right and i almost wish i had Mm -hmm. and and but it would have been a whole different story and i and i and i'm not i'm not trying to make this about me i guess what my point is is that i've always i've been very interested in Mm -hmm. those types of stories and things so i read a lot and a lot of audiobooks about you know um Afghanistan, and yeah. Iraq, and even Vietnam era, and mm-hmm. World War II stuff. So Definitely, yeah. I, I feel like I'm, and it seems like every story that I hear in books and mm-hmm. talking to people, it's it's always the same thing. It's like it, it's it's this. When I come home, it's it's like the adrenaline. You're so used to adrenaline yeah. rushes, right? <laughs> and now I'm sitting in an office in a cubicle. <laughs> totally. Right? It, yeah. It's got to be really hard. It is, yeah, and and it's <clears throat> it's hard when like. Like, you had a vision of what, like, you wanted to do, and then, you know, it just didn't, like, pan out, you know? So, like, you, like I said, I spent my whole childhood dreaming of this idealistic, romanticized vision of what the military was based off of movies I saw, and, you know, I had never met anyone in the infantry, I had never talked to anyone other than my recruiter, right? So, it was definitely, like, a a rose-colored glasses outlook, Mm -hmm. and I don't... I don't feel like I'm jaded. I feel like I was maybe just naive, you know, and like had people told me that, like I said, I don't really think, I th- it may have honestly motivated me more, right? Like, right, yeah. so I think like for wrong, right? us, like the biggest thing was like, how do we like talk about the things that make us feel weird or feel bad, but at the same time, like we kind of brought that upon ourselves. So that's always been, I think, kind of like the, the stigma around sharing is like, well, it's a sad story, but you know, you kind of like, you right. right. Yeah. So it's a little bit of um, like kind of like, well, who wants to hear that? You know what I mean? Like who cares, yeah. you know? So a lot of us just kind of just went our separate ways. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't really for years before we all <clears throat> like realized, you know, like it's, you're not gonna find that type of stuff in the, in the civilian job force you know? right. so <clears throat> that camaraderie and 
esprit de corps and you know the just the like the drive and purpose that you're given you just i mean the civilian world lacks a lot of like the mentorship and the whole like like you said that guy's like um for your son he was like you know the old guy who taught him you know like that's the things that like you don't find in the civilian world so a lot of us in the army were just like man this sucks you know but the army also sucks too right it's got its own whole litany of reasons why people get out you know like if we could have stayed deployed i probably would have stayed in as oddly as that sounds doesn't sound that because so. I've heard that kind of thing <laughs> yeah. people, and I think that's and I and again I'm I'm not trying to put words in your mm-hmm. mouth, but if, I feel like sometimes those are the things that guys are, are that they feel like when they say that it's such a taboo to say I actually enjoyed doing Being in combat. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a little uncouth, you know, it's a little savage for yeah. some people to hear yeah. like that. But for us, I mean, like you're treated like an equal mm-hmm. by you know officers right Mm -hmm. and then because you're the one pulling guard while they're sleeping you know they know that these guys are keeping me alive and when you get back there's none of that risk there's none of that at stake so now all of a sudden you're just hey why is there trash in your trash can you know why you know why is you know like it seems so petty right right right. oh you can't have a hot plate in your room and you know like little (laughs) things like i'm getting nickeled and dimed for things when i was driving a million dollar vehicle and shooting a rocket launcher you didn't have any problem then you know so i think a lot of us just wanted to kind of bury it and move on and not let it define us and that's just like that's more naive that's that's just uh going from one hopeful situation to the next and i think a lot of us have come to this conclusion that it's just the way it is and it'll always kind of be a part of us and i think we've started to like learn how to like function with it Mm -hmm. and be productive members of society staying out of jail staying out of trouble staying out of toxic relationships and trying to to give back to the community and help because that's i think what really was like fulfilling for us so i'm going to leave our conversation here because it's a great pivot point that leads to how mike has taken his experience and that of his friends and used them to formulate the man he is today we're going to post part two in two weeks If you're a veteran or know someone who is, know that there's assistance to help in reacclimating to civilian life. Retired Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann is a close friend of reemployability, so I'm going to provide the website for his not-for-profit, The Hero's Journey, in the show notes. It's a great place to start, and I know that if his not-for-profit isn't right for you, the folks at The Hero's Journey will be happy to point you in the right direction. Thanks again for listening. Look forward to having you back in a few weeks.